Hi everyone, this is Brant Van Rokel, lead pastor of Christ City Kitsilano, and I want to let you know about a couple of things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us at Fifth Avenue Cinema on Burrard Street at 9.30 a.m. We meet every Sunday morning for worship, word, and sacrament, and we'd love for you to join us there. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church Kitsilano is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to hear more about what God has called us to here in Kitsilano, then please reach out to me at brant at christcitychurch.ca or you can visit christcitychurch.ca slash Kitsilano. Scripture reading today is taken from several verses in the book of Proverbs. Honor the Lord with, the, with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your warts will be bursting with wine. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. It is better to be, uh, to be of lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasures and troubles with it. The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and a man is tested by his praise. This is the word of God. Well, as you're seated, uh, again, let me welcome you here. My name is Brant, and it's my joy to bring you the Word of God uh, this morning from the scriptures from the book of Proverbs. But uh, to do that and to learn, we need some help. We need the Lord God himself to help us as we turn to him. So would you bow your heads in prayer and ask for his assistance with me? Lord, we come to you this morning and we confess uh, God that that our hearts um, so often go astray God we are pulled uh, to all kinds of things in our lives that um, promise us happiness and success and joy but then in the end don't deliver on those promises and God we ask that you would help us now as we look to your word to be corrected by your word to be instructed by you, to receive your instruction and even your rebuke, um, trusting that you're a loving Father who wants the best things of all for us. So would you make us wise now as we learn from your word? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are continuing our series this morning in the book of Proverbs, and we have been learning what it means to become wise. Learning from the book of Proverbs about how to become wise. To become wise, we've been learning, is to grow to live skillfully according to what is best. How do we live in a whole variety of difficult situations in our lives? We enter all of these situations where we're not really sure what to do or how to proceed. And the book of Proverbs is here instructing us to become wise, to hear the instruction of the Lord so that we are grown and shaped and brought into tune so we resonate with the same life and the goodness of God so that we can become those that choose what is best in situation A and B and C and D and even the ones that we have not expected. And on this journey to wisdom, we've been looking at, and we've covered a number of different topics now, we are in a different topic this morning, a topic that I think we often struggle, and that's this. What do we do with our wealth? What do we do with the stuff of earth that we possess? It's not really a question we can avoid because every single person here, whether you have lots of wealth or whether you have 
basically no wealth. You are somebody who lives in a world uh, where you are going to have a job and employment if you don't have one now, where you have to decide what to do with the things that are yours. And even beyond money, you have other things. You have all the stuff of this world that is yours. What are you going to do with all of that? How are you going to handle it well? A couple of different ways or questions that we, we wonder about this, what's best. Sometimes we wonder, well, maybe we should set our hearts on the stuff of this world. After all, it's beautiful. It appears so good. If I just pursue it, maybe that will make me happy. If I get rich or die trying, you know, we're going to go that route. Maybe that will make me happy. Or others of us, you know, we become Christians now. We're followers of Jesus. And we think, no, 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 let's go the other direction. We'll be like, we'll be like monks in the wilderness. If we just deny ourselves of the wealth, the material things of this world, then, then we will have good success. Then we'll be, we will be wise. We will be living according to what it's best. Well, neither of these is right. should come as no surprise. And when it comes to wealth, the book of Proverbs has a lot to teach us. A lot to instruct us and correct us in how we use the goods of this world world, starting, it's no surprise by what we studied so far, starting with the inward person and the direction, the orientation of our hearts. And then from that place of learning what to do with our desires for the things of this world, uh, then moving outward into how we actually live practically. So we're going to look at three points this morning. We're going to look at the book of Proverbs as it teaches us about the danger of greed. We're going to look at the heart of the wise person and what they do in the orientation of their own hearts and the desires for the things of this world. And then third, we're going to look at how we might grow in wisdom to use the stuff of this world well. All right, so the danger of greed, the heart of the wise, and how to use the stuff of this world. Well, as I've already mentioned, jumping right in, some of us might have come to a place in our lives as Christians that we just believe that maybe the stuff of this world is all bad. Maybe we, we shouldn't have desires to get more in this world. But I want to start off, even as you look at the danger of greed, by recognizing that that's not true. It's not true because of how the Bible begins. Remember how the Bible starts? Genesis 1, if you've not read it, it's a story of creation and God is creating this world. And there's a phrase that keeps recurring over and over and over. It's God looking at this world that he's made and saying, it is good. This world that, that we see around us, that is beautiful, that produces for us, that we get wealth from. God says, this is good. This creation I have made and I have given it to you, to my creatures as a gift to be enjoyed. So it can't be the case that, that the stuff of this world is all bad and we should just not want any of it as Christians. That's not the right thing. But where do we go wrong then? I think the reality is that we go wrong in one place above all, and that's this. We go wrong when we try to find our satisfaction and our joy in the stuff of this world rather than in relationship of love and trusting obedience with God. Right? He's the creator. He's made this world. It's a gift to us. We start to treat the created world and the stuff that's here as God instead of God. And we look to it for our joy and our satisfaction, try to fill our lives with it, rather than 
to be filled with the relationship of God and loving obedience and learning from him. And there's a name for that switch, swapping the creation for the creator. It's called greed. As our hearts are, are churned with avarice and desire to the world over the God who has made it. Proverbs talks a lot about greed. And the Bible talks a lot about greed. And I know greed well personally. Ever since I was a a young kid, um, I remember thinking, I don't want to have to work as hard as my dad does. I saw him striving and, and just working in this world to try to get ahead and provide for our family. We didn't have a lot growing up. And somehow that fear of of not having enough, it it lodged in my heart and began to start working on me to fix my attention on the things of this world, to desire it. If I have more wealth, that will be my satisfaction. That will be my happiness. And I'll avoid the the thing that I see my dad having to, to strive with. And this greed, it was corrupting me little bit by little bit as greed always does, by the way, to the human soul, twists us as we pursue the things of this world over God. And what happened is that in my early 20s, I had a small construction company, and as I made more money, the greed in my heart, coming from that place, I think, of fear of not having enough, but but churning for my satisfaction to the world, that that greed began to start to, to do this thing in my life where I thought very easily about myself far over the blessing and the benefit of my clients. Just started to think in subtle ways of prioritizing myself first. And that greed would work in me. I'd get lazy. And there'd be lots of times when my schedule would be full and, and I wouldn't want to stop and button up a job to 100%. I wouldn't want to clean that site perfectly. I kind of leave the place a bit of a mess because I could just go on. You know what? Other people do that too. It's not, it's not wrong. And I just prioritize what I wanted, more wealth. And if I did more jobs, I'd get more money. Or I would start to cut corners even. I remember some jobs where, where it wasn't done quite right, but it was good enough, you know? And, and I'd move on to the next thing. And what happened was that this greed for the things of this world to earn more money, to have more wealth, it caused me no longer to live as a Christian for the glory of God and all that I did. Right? I wasn't looking to just bless others and be a witness to, to the God that I served and every interaction I had with those that I served. My intent, my desire was fixed firmly on one thing, on wealth, on accumulating more for myself. In Proverbs 28, 20 It talks about my experience. Maybe you can relate to it when it says this. It says, A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Have you ever hastened to be rich in your life? We've not thought about it that way, but I think The great irony about talking about greed is that nobody in the room thinks that they're greedy. Generally speaking, uh, in the Bible, Jesus spoke a lot more about money and about greed than he did about other things. And yet I've never had a Christian congregant 
ever come and confess greed to me. Right? We just don't generally see ourselves as greedy people. But I think that we are all people that struggle with this and we've got to be open to this conversation and the Proverbs warn about it. Whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. But the faithful man will abound with blessings. You see, the wise, faithful person is a person that has an inward integrity in the relationship with God. It's a person who's stable. A person who's satisfied in God. And what that does is that then their love for him, their fear of him, their desire for him, it protects them so they don't pursue profit over people. They love the Lord. They're stable in him. But on the other hand, the foolish, wicked person, they hasten to be rich. And that lust, that desire for more stuff to fill the void in their hearts, it makes them willing to disadvantage other people to get ahead. Isn't that interesting? Our desire for money, when it takes that first place, it can corrupt us so that we are willing to disadvantage others, even in subtle ways, to get ahead ourselves. And that, by the way, Christ City, is the root of injustice in this world. Because even if you don't have much wealth, your greed will work in your soul and will inevitably drive you to injustice in your relationships with others. It will cause you, like I did in that example, to prioritize your needs and your wants and your desires over the good of others. And even in subtle ways, do things that you wouldn't have expected to put yourself ahead. So at the Proverbs describe actually in 20 verse 23 describes a greedy person who wants to get ahead and starts to do subtle things that are unjust. 2023 says unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord and false scales are not good. So it's ancient times and, and if you're a bit greedy and, and you want money more than you want the good of people, then what you do in the marketplace when you're bartering is you just adjust your scales a little bit. It's only a little bit. Everyone else is doing it. And, and as you uh, adjust those scales, you don't really think of yourself as an oppressor. But what are you doing? You're perpetuating injustice towards the community. See, not all of us have enormous companies. It's easy to point the finger. It's kind of in vogue to point the finger at big, corrupt, oppressive countries and companies in this world. But the greed that drives those large-scale things, the same greed that is in your heart in those subtle and little ways that lead you to cut corners or just cheat a little bit to get your house off ahead, to, to think of your own advantage and to be willing to disadvantage someone else just even slightly. But the Proverbs in 20 verse 23, they say that sin is an abomination to God. God who loves this world and loves us and wants us to live justly in it. But that's what loving the things of this world over God does to us. And we can, we can cheat actively by adjusting the scales or we can actually cheat others passively. Did you know that? We can cheat others passively by withholding the good that we owe to others and to our community. Right? We have some things, some wealth, and we say, well, I want to keep it. 
And it's just in keeping it that we often pass over the needs of others and act unjustly. Look at 12.24. There, Solomon writes, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Even withholding what we should give is an act of injustice. See, our greed is unjust. But it's not just unjust. It's also a tragic thing. It's tragic because the wealth that we try to attain in this world, it can't ultimately satisfy us. I'm going to show you a couple of different ways. First, because there's no guarantee that we will keep our wealth. Look at Proverbs 18, verses 10 to 11. There Solomon writes, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. I mean, how many people have you heard stories of who have lost their wealth in a sudden turn of events? And these are common stories that happens all the time, right? You make a bad investment and it's all gone. You know, you invested in cryptocurrency and I'm sorry, you know, you suffered for it. Or maybe uh, you missed a business opportunity, right? Or maybe the markets changed or maybe the economy changed. Maybe a war came and the wealth that you put your hope and your trust in, it evaporates. It sprouts like wings, like an eagle flying toward heaven. See, wealth comes and wealth often goes. And the wise person knows this. And the wise person then, is this interesting, in verse, uh, in verse four, uh, is discerning enough to stop chasing wealth. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. They know when to stop their pursuit of wealth, to focus instead on what matters most to live instead for relationship with God, for the blessings of your family, to live for the kingdom of Jesus and the good of others. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. So I think our greed can be tragic because there's no guarantee that we'll be keeping it. And second, our greed can be tragic because our love of money can't provide the security that we hope it will. Look at Proverbs 18, 10 to 11. Because the name of the Lord is a strong tower. So a righteous man runs to it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. Can wealth give you the, the mental and the emotional stability that you want? Can it make you ultimately and truly happy? Well, it can certainly provide you with pleasures in life, but it can't satisfy the desires of our souls. Can wealth ensure your health? Can it help you when you face death? One thing that you don't see behind a hearse is a U-Haul trailer, right? You can't take it with you, right? You're not going to be able to, to have your wealth assist you on the day when it's all over and said and done. And so often for people that have set their hope on wealth, they face this enormous problem because when their health starts to go downhill, they realize I've lived for the wrong thing my whole life. None of this ultimately matters and I've missed it. So beware the danger of greed. 
Wealth is a strong city only in our imaginations. But the name of the Lord is a strong tower. All right, so if there's a problem with greed, and if there's a greed in our own hearts that we have to be aware of, then what's the solution? How do we go from setting our hearts on the things of this world and and start to, to live differently? What's the heart of the wise person do? Well, the heart of the wise person, and our second point now, they set their hearts on God, not on wealth. And the wise, they grow over time in this life of relationship with God, which is an ongoing process, an ongoing journey. They, they grow to set their hearts on God in a few different ways. <clears throat> First, in every area of life, the wise person grows in wisdom with their wealth because they're characterized by one thing above all else. They humbly orient the whole of their lives to God as the first priority of their life. So the Proverbs have a key phrase throughout them. It's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom in every area of life begins with the fear of the Lord. As we rightly come to God and fear the consequences of living against him, living with disordered desires like greed for the things of this world. And as we come to him then and humbly receive his instruction, God, teach me then. I want to learn. I want to be changed by your word. I want to learn to follow you, to live well, and to receive your blessing. So look at Proverbs 9, 9 to 11, in the heart of the wise person. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. The first thing that the wise person does is just they're characterized by this this fear of God, this willingness to learn and to receive his instruction, including in the areas of their wealth. But second, the wise person, they fight greed by trusting that God isn't a stingy father. I think we think that sometimes. We think that, that God is holding back on us, that following him will mean that we will lose out in life. But God doesn't want that for you. He wants to bless you with the richest of blessings. Look at Proverbs 10 verse 22. There's a blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Isn't that awesome? There's not a lot of other blessings in this world that promise no sorrow. It's a broken and it's a fallen world. And so often when we grow to attain things in this life apart from this rich relationship with God, we come to places of tragedy and sorrow, right? Deep regret. But God is a God who wants to bless you. The blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. See, God gives riches that are riches that endure, that even if you don't have material wealth, having followed him will mean that you will grow in blessing that can never be taken away from you. A blessing that will endure even through tragedy. Certainly there'll be times even that following God leads to material blessings, but your heart won't be set on those things. And you'll be protected from the sorrow that so often accompanies the wealth of this world. 
So the wise heart orients the whole of their life to God and the fear of the Lord. They trust that God blesses richly. And third, the wise person does something else. The wise person submits to be tested by God. They're willing to be tested and even disciplined by God so that they grow to be content in relationship with him. Look at Proverbs 17, verse 3. It says, The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. What the Lord wants most of all in your life is your heart. And just like silver and gold, they have to go through this process of of going into the heat of the fire to have the impurities burned away. So the Lord is willing to test our hearts to see whether our hearts are actually his, whether we are growing to love him above all else and to serve him. And that testing means that he will often give us wealth and he will often even take away our wealth. And that experience of of having received wealth and what we did with it, or when we lost it, what our reaction was to that loss, that reveals much about our inner person and relationship with God. But God does this not because he's mean, not because he's a cruel God, but because he's a God who cares about your blessing. A God who knows that that your happiness and your eternal joy, your blessing even in this world, depend upon your heart being richly oriented to him above all. God wants us to become wise and to have our hearts content on him so that no matter what, whether we have riches or whether we are in poverty, we have enough because our hearts are zeroed on him. You know what's better than wealth? contentment. Contentment is better than wealth. The blessed life that God wants for you is a life that's not ruled by fear and anxiety over not having enough, or if you have a lot, the anxiety of trying to keep it and not lose it. God doesn't want you fearful and anxious over your stuff. The blessed life is a life comforted and secure in relationship with God that's not discouraged by riches coming or riches going. Our hearts aren't set on those things. Our hearts are set on the Lord. I want to encourage you. If you're hearing this and you're in a place where you realize, man, I'm not there yet. Like I live my life fearful about what I have and what I'm losing or what I, what I want to get. Man, this is a process. No one comes to a place of relationship with God, but they are content in him overnight. See, to grow in contentment means you have to learn to be content. I was so challenged and shaped by this, even in my, my own life last year, um, as I was working through some things and uh, doing some counseling. And uh, Doug Crystal here in this church, he showed me a passage in Philippians 4 and how Paul, the apostle, the one who planted all these churches in the Roman world and really got this Christian revolution off on the right foot, he had to learn contentment. He wasn't, contentment, he wasn't content automatically. So that he had learned the secret of being content and having much or having little. In all situations, he said he was content because of God strengthening him. 
And if Paul had to learn through the process of having much and being tested and having little, then you need to learn that way too. And don't be discouraged if you're not there yet. This is a process. Paul was content, but he had to learn it. And we have to as well. So I want to ask you this morning, what do you think you have your heart set on? Do you have your heart set on God? Or do you have your heart set on wealth? And if you struggle to know, and you think, I don't really know, I, I can't see my own heart, I've not thought through this, Brand. Well, Proverbs 27, verse 21 has some words for you to, to help discern. It says this, The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold. That sounds like the other proverb we read, but this one goes different. And a man is tested by his praise. You want to know what your heart loves? You'll be tested by your praise. And your praise can mean either the way that you talk most excitedly about things in your life. What is the thing that you're overflowing with excitement about? When people get together with you or if you ask your friends, hey, what do I talk most about? Those will be the things that you praise. The things that you're excited about. You're tested in your heart by what you praise. The overflow of, of the heart is what causes our mouth to speak. Praise can be taken another way though too. It can mean the praise of others to you. What encourages you most? What words that are shared with you cause you to have the greatest joy in your life? Those things start to reveal what's in your heart. The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and a man is tested by his praise. So think about it. Wrestle with your desires. Do I love God or do I love wealth? Is my heart set on the things of this world or, or God, is it set on you? And God is such a loving father. What he wants to do with you this morning is to welcome you into a place of working this out in relationship with him. He's okay if you're a mess right now. That's not a problem for him. You're, you're not a problem too big for him to solve. He just invites you as, your as, as his child, come and talk to me about it. Open your heart up and start working it out with me. I want to encourage you, come to him, and if you do see some greed, have the courage to confess that to God. Say, God, I think I, I have set my heart on the things of this world. Would you forgive me and would you reorient me now to, to learn to be content in relationship with you? I want to have what's best. I don't want what's second best. Why don't you teach me and why don't you instruct me? See, to be instructed and taught in the Lord is best. It's better by far. Look at Proverbs 15, 16. Better is a little even with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. All right, we're very much in process though, aren't we? If we got greed, if we're working to orient our hearts really to God, um, we're, we're realizing maybe I'm not where I'd like to be. We are in process. Well, it's important then that we turn to our third point to see what can we then do practically? What, what can we learn from what the wise person, not what they desire, but what, what they do? In Proverbs, we see a number of different things. I want to look at three different ways that we see what the wise person does. Namely and chiefly, the wise person is generous. The wise person uses the things of this world and then gives them. I'm going to show you three ways that the wise person does that. The wise person is generous with all that God's given. So first we see, as the, we look at the wise person now and how they use what God's given to them, 
that because this wise person loves God more than money, they joyfully use their money to honor him and advance his kingdom as the first priority of their life. The first thing they care about is to honor God. That's what they do with their stuff. Look at Proverbs 3, 9 to 10. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And there's a promise that goes along with that. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Again, the Lord's not calling you to, to honor him and to live first for him because he's a stingy God. He's causing you and calling you to a life of generosity first for him because he wants to bless you with things greater than you realize today. And honoring the Lord first with our wealth is a difficult process. <laughs> it's this visceral experience. We come and we look at our accounts. We look at our budget. And when I do this, I look at all that I have and I allot it all out and, and what my budget actually is. It's this crazy experience where all of a sudden my heart's laid bare on the budget screen. And what, what do I really want to do with my stuff? This visceral experience of, do I love God or do I love the things that he's given me? Because to, to give to him first means I have to say no to a lot of things. Like Heather and I live uh, a lot uh, less fully than we might because we try to give. We have to come to that budget table and cut things to honor God first. But it's actually this awesome experience as well because giving to God first, it starts to chip away at my cold, dead, greedy heart. And when I take that step of obedience before him and give to him first, he replaces that greed with something so much better, with that contentment we talked about, but also with joyful thanks and praise. It's funny how the greedy aren't really ever thankful people. Right? But, but those that are generous, they grow in thanksgiving to recognize, man, God has given me all this stuff. It's my delight to give to him first. He wants us to have a thankful heart. He wants our heart. It's exactly what God is all about. Jesus himself taught us this when he said of the woman who gave her last penny, the story where this woman comes into the temple and, and there's always people giving in out of their abundance, all this wealth, and it looks like they're being so generous and that their hearts are really God's. And this woman comes in and she gives this single penny and Jesus says, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. God isn't saying we all should impoverish ourselves in giving for him. What Jesus is getting at is that there's something shown by that sacrifice. That her heart's the Lord's. That she's giving first to the Lord, honoring him, not of her uh, abundance, but out of her sacrifice. All right, so the wise person first is the person who gives to the Lord and prioritizes that. Second, the wise person because they love God more than money, they give generously to others out of the overflow of a diligent life. Diligence and generosity, they go together. And laziness and greed can sometimes go together. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. He says, Now that you're followers of Jesus, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor 
doing honest work with his own hands for a purpose so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. The new life, it's in Jesus, a diligent, hardworking life with the purpose of, of letting that diligence and the fruit of that diligent labor overflow to the blessing of other people. And what's striking in the book of Proverbs is that it speaks very honestly about laziness and slothfulness. And one thing it speaks about honestly about that life of laziness and slothfulness is that it's not a very satisfying life. It says, The desire of the sluggard, this is uh, Proverbs 21, 25 to 26, The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hand refuses to labor. All day long he craves and he craves. He desires and he desires and he desires. But the righteous gives and does not hold back. Even that that slothfulness that we think will satisfy our, our lazy hearts, it doesn't. We just sit there and we desire and we crave and we find that we don't have what we want. I think some of us aren't generous and aren't wise with what we have because we are lazy. And I think that doesn't just mean lazy in not being willing to work. I think sometimes we're lazy in our giving because we don't plan to give. We're lazy as we look at the stuff that God's given us and we think, man, yeah, I'd like to get there one day and maybe give something, but, but we're too lazy to try and take the bull by the horns and plan out how that might happen. And on the other hand, the diligent, what's interesting about them, the diligent generous is that they are very careful to plan to be generous. Part of their life is planning to give. So I want to encourage you, if you don't plan to give, maybe today's a good day to start. A good day to, to look at what God's given you and to make a plan. How can I start to give? How can I grow in generosity? What do I need to cut out? What do I need to do to come to a place where I honor God first with my wealth and my blessing to others? In the history of the Christian church, Many Christians have found that giving 10% is, is good and faithful and biblical. It's not strongly a, a Christian rule. But, but do we plan how we could give a percentage consistently and faithfully to honor the Lord first? And for you parents, I think this is actually something that you can bring your kids into in your discipleship and your training of them. Right? So often kids go not thinking about money or only thinking about money for themselves. Hey, I got awesome birthday presents and gifts and it's all for me. And then someday they become an adult and their pastor says, hey, maybe you should think about giving. And it's the first time they've heard about it. But you can teach your kids, you can help your kids by bringing them into your own planning. To kids, we're going to talk about what mom and dad are going to do with our stuff and where we can Look at our budget, and this is what we're going to spend money on and, and where we're going to spend money over here. What do you think? There's a, a woman here in this church who is a wonderfully generous person. And she shared with me the way that, that when she was raised, her father would do that with her. How you bring her into the planning process. It was this really special thing that stayed with her now as an adult, where she's still long before the, the giving is executed, it is planned and is carefully laid out. So consider planning to be generous. Third, because the wise person loves God more than wealth, they use all 
that they have to be a blessing to others. Look at Proverbs chapter 11, 24 to 25, then also 28 and 30. There we read this from Solomon. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. And interesting, one gives freely, just like indiscriminate giving. It looks foolish, yet they grow all the richer. Another withholds what he should give. I'm not going to give it. I'm going to protect my stuff. And only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. See, the wicked, they withhold what they should give. They, they are greedy, and they think they'll become happy and have a good life, but they only suffer want. This wise, righteous person, they live their whole life willingly and sacrificially to bless other people. And as a result of that blessing, they increase. They often, Christ City, even in material ways, increase in their life. That's not the chief and the, and the only way that they increase. They also increase in far richer ways, in relationship with God, which will endure for forever, and in relationship with others. They have this community around them that praises them and loves them and is thankful for them because of this rich generosity. You see, wealth isn't a problem. It's not the problem. The stuff of this world's not a problem. If you have a lot of wealth, that's not a problem either. This is all a good world that God has made. What our problem is, is that our greed causes us to use the stuff of this world in corrupted ways, not in generosity and giving, but in selfishness for us. But loving God first causes us to switch that again and to invert it and to correct it so that we use the stuff of this world from open hearts of love for him that willingly use what we have to bless others. With the result in verse 30 that the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. The fruit of that way of living is a tree of life and whoever captures souls is wise. See, then we often think that abundance and happiness will come through our greed. It's not how it works. It's not how it works. It's not how God has designed reality. The way God's designed the reality that we live and breathe in is that giving is blessing. Sacrifice is what brings life. And God himself has has created this reality we live in and he's modeled this reality that giving is blessing and sacrifice is is life. He's modeled it himself. First of all, because every breath that you take, we sang this earlier, is a gift from him. He's given you everything that you have. You live in this rich atmosphere of blessing because God is a generous God. But second, he's shown you his glorious blessing of giving, giving by coming to us in the person of Jesus and sacrificing himself for you. He came to bear the cross of our soul-corrupting and world-destroying greed on his shoulders so we could be forgiven and welcomed into his infinite riches. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and it says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. I think even still, we, we could read that and say, yeah, Brand, but I don't want to become poor like Jesus. And I have news for you. Jesus isn't poor anymore. Because of his sacrifice, Jesus was glorified. Because of his giving, he was exalted to the right hand of the Father and has received an inheritance of all things, this earth and all the people in it. All of this is his. Because of his sacrifice, he has redeemed for himself a church. A church of people, billions of people throughout time and throughout the globe who worship him and praise him, who adore him and love him and serve him. Why? Because he sacrificed. Because of what he gave. Not only that, wherever the church has gone and the news about Jesus has spread, it has worked against the soul-destroying, life-corrupting reality of greed in the human heart, and it started to bring life to those places. So we are changed no longer to live for ourselves and our greed, but to propagate and dispense the same generosity we received outward toward others. You see, the fruit of righteous, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. It's just how it works. The fruit of generosity and sacrifice is life and blessing. It's just how the world that God has created works. And you are recipients of this. So we're only in this theater because of the generosity of Christians. We're only able to do what we can do here on a Sunday because you are all generous. We're only able, able to do as a network of Christ City churches, planting other churches we planted. East Vancouver, we're planting uh, Surrey. We were a plant six years ago. We're only able to continue this ministry because of the generosity of Christians who are part of this same sacrifice and this same giving. So do you want to live well and wisely? I want to invite you to come and examine your hearts before God and let him point out your greed and correct it. I want to invite you to do that and especially as, as we come now to the Lord's table to communion in just a few moments where we will remember together how Jesus gave himself for us to so come to him, eat richly, be nourished and satisfied, not in wealth, but in God.